0: This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting Corporation and Supertalk Mississippi Media. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Jolan Sami, your co-host, joined by economist Natasha Sardorch, co-founder of International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit.
1: America's Roundtable guests include leading voices from business, government, media, energy, technology, healthcare, and the broad policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and Spotify. Visit America's Roundtable at americasrt.com. We invite donors and advertisers to reach us by visiting our website, americasrt.com. Welcome to America's Roundtable. This weekend on America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., we are truly honored to host a distinguished leader, who is dedicated to advancing our shared values and principles. In 1989, Rabbi Elliot Perlson succeeded Rabbi Meir Abramowitz, who had served Temple Menorah since its founding in 1949. His parents, Sylvia and Ben, were farmers near Buffalo until moving to Miami Beach in 1963, where they entered the hotel and hospitality industry. Within months of assuming his duties, Rabbi Perlson followed in the footsteps of his predecessor, affirming the well-deserved notoriety of Temple Menorah by opening the institution to hundreds of Russian Jews escaping from the Soviet Union. Along with the survivors of the Holocaust and the refugees of Castro's Cuba, another generation of Jewish refugees were guaranteed a spiritual home and place to worship. In addition to his religious studies, Rabbi Perlson has undergraduate degrees in Jewish Studies and Biochemistry, a Master's degree in Rabbinic Literature, and graduate studies in Microbiology at the University of Florida. He was granted his Doctor of Ministry degree in Community Leadership by the Florida Center for Theological Studies in 2010. Rabbi Perlson received Orthodox Rabbinic Ordination at the Diaspora Yeshiva on Mount Zion, Jerusalem. Among Rabbi Perlson's community outreach efforts has been the adoption of an African-American church.
0: And for our engaged listeners, I would like to share that this recording took place prior to the commencement of Shabbat. And without any further delay, we extend a warm welcome to Rabbi Elliot Perlson. A good morning to you, sir. Shalom, shalom.
1: Good morning, Rabbi Elliot Perlson.
2: Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's a real honor to be with you, and and I just appreciate everything you've you've been doing, for not only for Israel, but for, for us as Americans. Thank you very much.
0: Indeed, It was an honor for Natasha and I to meet with you this past week in southern Florida at the Temple Menorah in Miami. And one of the topics that you so astutely raised was that we're witnessing a changing America where American exceptionalism is being derided and certain members of the academia and those holding the reins of government are working to perhaps erase history or push a new narrative and are ever so committed to replacing the foundation founding fathers' vision and the spirit of 1776. And our engaged listeners are so aware that the Jewish community in America from the nation's founding was very supportive of America's independence in 1776. And we recall that on August 1870, 90 congregants of the synagogue of Newport, Rhode Island, warmly welcomed George Washington to their place of worship. And Washington, as we know, was sworn in as president on April 30th, 1789. And we also remember President Lincoln's speech to Congress in 1862. And I'll just share this very brief quote from him. And he said, We even here hold the power and bear the responsibility in giving freedom to the slave. We assure freedom to the free, honorable alike in what we give and what we preserve. We shall nobly save or meanly lose the last best hope on earth. Others may succeed, this could not fail. Rabbi Elliot Perlson, what are we to make of the challenges we're experiencing in America today? And how can we as fellow Americans change this course of history in preserving, and working to preserve American ideals and our Judeo-Christian heritage.
2: So, again, I just want to thank you, Joel and Natasha, thank you so much for everything you do for um, the Jewish people, for the Land of Israel, and for America, because as we discussed, I think that the American Jewish experience has been a synergism that makes both our, the American people and the Jewish people, even infinitely stronger. And as you mentioned, even from the time of George Washington, um, I'm sure you're familiar that Chaim Solomon, a Jewish uh, financier, is the one that backed the American Revolutionary War, and George Washington. And the idea is that our mutual goals and aspirations for a free, independent, um, democratic uh, republic of the United States goes back all the way to 1776, if not earlier. And and that's yeah, I think it's even infinitely more than just having a Judeo-Christian ethics. It's an attitude about how, as Americans and as Jewish people, we are supposed to have a mission in this world to make the world a better place. And although biblically we are supposed to be a light unto the nation, we are also, as Americans, we've proven as Americans that we are the light unto the rest of the world. America in every generation has stood up and gone beyond the call of duty, so to speak, in the early 1800s already in the Barbary Coast. And I'm not going to go through a history lesson with you, because I'm sure your listeners all know this. America is a light unto the nations of the world. And I think that's synergistically what we as Jewish people are are supposed to be doing. And, And I think that We've also been very successful in those endeavors in science and math and technology, et cetera, that we try to make the world a better place. And that's part of our culture and our heritage. But specifically, I join with you in our concern about what's happening in America, that it's as almost as if the classic recipe that's made us great that all of a sudden people are trying to change the ingredients and redefine what's already worked so well for over 250 years. So, you know, uh, my father and mother used to have a very famous saying, if it's not broken, don't fix it. But of course, like we always want to become better. We want to improve. But here we have a situation where there seems to be a transplanting of ideologies and a negating of ideologies that are so fundamental to Americanism that the Jewish community is likewise um, very, very concerned about, as are your listeners. And and I personally think a vast majority of Americans are showing an increased concern about what's going on in, in America and the Western world.
0: In fact, as we look at what is transpiring in Europe, They have embraced secularism, and in fact, as you go to a great many places of worship in Europe today, they're basically empty facilities, and some are being sold to other enterprises and so forth. So, faith as we once knew it from the European perspective is slowly disappearing, and in fact, uh, there is concern here in America that perhaps a new generation is not gravitating to those Judeo-Christian principles, that which, as you mentioned, made this country very unique in how it served its community right within the United States. And I remember that as we were talking about the flag of the United States where There was such great patriotism, a healthy patriotism. Uh, But that was also undergirded by the love for not just only country, but for God, uh, for compassion for our fellow man. Rabbi Elliot, from that perspective, what can we do as citizens in this revitalization of America, in bringing people back to those timeless principles that made this country very unique in the first place?
2: I think that um, every faith-based community should challenge themselves to bring the message of godliness to to the world. You know, the Pew Report has documented, like you mentioned, that attendances at church and synagogues is on the decline in some communities. But really, that doesn't make sense because the Pew Report also, as in other studies, have proven that The more God-fearing the community is, the more often you go to church and synagogue, the more often you have family meals together. There's a new report that actually shows the less screen time you spend on your iPhone, smartphones, and, and, and computers, the more family values are expressed in the community. But more importantly, how emotionally stable the family is and all right fine do it for the wrong reasons but the more successful these families are it's it's an interesting phenomena that the more religious a family expresses their godliness the more financially successful they are because it teaches them discipline sacrifice all the things that takes um a corporation so to speak in a family is basically a corporation a ceo a chief operating officer so to speak a mother a father with classical roles that these things, it's a small corporation known as a family. And with sacrifice, hard work, diligence, it makes the family more successful It makes corporations more successful. So the question is, why aren't Americans doing that? I'm not sure. I think that it's part of the post-21st century changing attitudes about selfishness. It's all about me. John F. Kennedy said it right, don't ask what your government can do for you. Ask what we could do for our government. But things have changed in the last 60 years where people want to know, well, what am I going to get? I want the government, what's the government going to give me for free? But in religion, it's not like that. People of faith, people who believe in God, their attitude is, how can I make the world a better place? Mm-hmm. So, the challenge is that each faith-based community should take upon themselves to hit the streets, so to speak, to knock on doors. And that personal connection especially after COVID when when we have now know that kids in, in junior high school and high school are failing here it is three years later. They don't know how to make interconnection. They don't know how to make you know, personal they don't know how to date anymore mm. because two and a half years or so of 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 zoom classes, they've lost a certain certain sense of personal interaction. I would like to challenge all faith-based communities to knock on doors, literally stop people in the street, invite them to our churches and synagogues, show them how beautiful our faith-based religious practices are and how much they change and help us for the betterment on a daily basis, because that's reality. Mm. And I think that's how we can make a difference in the world and, and and make America strong again. And one little footnote, you know, I remember reading how um, in one particular um, voting district, how George Bush completely won in a a Democratic district. And it turned out that he had volunteers. The the Democratic community thought, oh, it's a lot. We got it. We're 70% Democratic. But the Republican committee sent 40 people and they hit the streets knocking on people's doors. And if you weren't going to vote and you're a registered Republican, go out and vote. But the actual talking to people Saying hello to them, going in and having a cup of coffee and talking to people. They were able to change their opinions and bring them not only to the voting booth, but to show them the greatness of faith-based voting and making sure that America is strong. So that's the challenge. uh, And I know here in our community, we're doing our best to do the same.
1: That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Rabbi Elliot. you have served the Jewish community in the greater Miami area. And according to the U.S. Census, the largest Miami racial ethnic groups are Hispanic, some 72%, followed by black, some 13%, and white, some 12%. As of 2021, 58% of Miami residents were born outside of the country, with the largest immigrant population coming from Cuba. Yes. Most of the immigrants from Latin America that came to Miami fled corrupt communist regimes and lawless societies, and they understand the dangers of socialism. They came to America in search for a better life, to provide for their families in an environment where there is law and order. A rather Carlson, can you share with us your observations when talking to Hispanics and Jewish population that came from Latin America, and they are American patriots, how do they view the erosion of the rule of law and economic freedom in the United States of America?
2: Um, Your observation is 100% accurate, at least from my perspective. So a disproportionate number of my community are absolutely Latin Jews who have fled in 1960 Cuba, and then in the early 2000s venezuela and, and argentina as well and they are people who fled communism and socialism and they know the heartbreak and the, the failure of a corrupt economic system such as that and that's why we i'm not surprised and it's it's classic that these people do not vote democratic because they fear the imbuing of many socialists attitudes within the left-wing, progressive, liberal, democratic doctrine and platforms. That being said, it's very hard for certain democratic districts to continue to be successful because as more and more Latin people are influencing our community, the more the message seems to be validated that communism and socialism and these liberal progressive doctrines are not working. Even locally at the local level, they are not working. And that a vast majority of um, Hispanics, of the Latinos in our community, are extremely hardworking. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are the people that wake up at six o'clock in the morning, work six days a week. By the way, they're also very prevalently church-going people. Mm and even in my own community a disproportionate number of the people who attend services every morning you know seven days a week we pray three times a day disproportionate of them are not just first but second or third generation latins Hmm. who are synagogue attendees three times a day so to speak and in our community more latins that are moving into our community here it's called the north shore of miami beach we have two new latin churches that sprung up just in the last five years. Hmm. And every Sunday morning, they're packed. And what a coincidence. These are hardworking people who wake up six days a week at six o'clock in the morning. And initially, they might have done jobs that nobody previously would have wanted. But now they have started their own companies and and they're diversifying. And that just validates, again, uh, an attitude that they don't want a handout they want to hand a helping hand up, mm. and then once they get here, they are working hard, and that is the true American value: that if you work hard, then you can. You're maybe not you because you're born in a foreign country, but you work hard, and your children can grow up and become president of the United States mm. or senators. You know, we have um, Senator Marco Rubio, who's a Republican, born in the United States, first generation American, Cuban, and he's our senator. And that's a perfect example of this doctrine that that we have to re into our American society. I think it's a silent majority. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have to get them to start verbalizing and standing up for what is truly right and acknowledge that there is why, you know, if it's not broken, don't fix it. You know, um. My mother gave my my wife a recipe for a very classic J- Jewish cuisine. And Judy said, you know what? We got to worry about cholesterol. So, we're not going to exchange this ingredient. And you know what? We're going to make it more health, heart healthy. We're going to change it. And we made it. And... Um,
1: it didn't taste the same.
2: It wasn't even close. <laughs> if it's not broken, don't fix it. But also, when you start messing with things that have worked so well and so successful... Mm-hmm then you're playing with a loaded gun. Mm -hmm. And and more importantly, you know, how great is America? I'll tell you. The the, the test of how great a country is, is more people trying to get into America than want to leave. And you can tell how how unsuccessful a country is by how many people are trying to get out Mm -hmm. as rather than get in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Venezuela has had a mass exodus. And in the United States, every border people want to... America is such a bad place, and why does everyone want to come here? That's very well stated, Rabbi
0: Elliot. (laughs) And in fact, uh, Natasha and I recall our visit to the Temple Menorah and vividly remember that you prominently have placed reminders of October 7, 2023. And while certain groups want us to just move on and just focus solely on Gaza, we all know that there was a ceasefire with Hamas, the Iranian-backed terrorist group on October 6 over 1200 Israeli Jews were killed some 5000 injured and over 253 were abducted and taken to Gaza including children the elderly and babies snatched from their parents and in fact we cannot even share on air, all the evidences of the barbarism committed by Hamas and the Palestinian jihadist group, even the manner in which they killed parents and babies, including the raping of young women. And just this past week, another attack took place inside Israel and just outside of Jerusalem where Palestinian terrorists killed one person and injured 11 as they were entering the Israeli-Jewish community of Ma'ale Adumim. Rabbi Elliot when did you first hear about the October terrorist attack, which is being described as the worst event since the Holocaust? And how has this changed Israel and members of the Jewish American community?
2: Excellent question. So, first of all, you're absolutely right. And, and for example, my community are wearing these dog tags, which it's a statement, and it literally says, bring them home. Mm. And as I, I showed you on our pulpit here, I have a wheelchair and a baby stroller in plain view in the center of our pulpit and that uh, with pictures of the various hostages. And we have a display of 242 different lights representing the hostages, and we change the color as those are being released, et cetera. And the idea is that this should be at the forefront of our prayers, and that it's also that we should not forget them. And that um, that's why, for example, last night, I was blessed. I was able to participate in a um, a gala celebration and observance for the the florida friends of the IDF, the israeli defense forces 1300 people last night wow. Amazing. and the whole idea is at the forefront was that we said we, we initiated the process with praying for israel praying for the hostages and praying for peace peace re, true peace even peace specifically peace with our arab neighbors and it was a beautiful evening and we had soldiers who grew up in Miami Beach, who were fighting um, in Israel and Gaza, and they gave us a first-hand report about what things were like. But more specifically, contrary to, to popular belief, memory is very important. Mm-hmm. And there are some people who say, like, Rabbi, what, what's this obsession that Jews have with the Holocaust? It's over, move on. Would anyone say to a Texan, what's this obsession you have with the Alamo? Remember the Alamo? Why why do we have to, Why you know, come on, Texans, move on, move on. You know, it was, what, 250 200, years ago? No one would ever say that to a Texan. Or would you ever say to a Frenchman, you know, remember the Bastille, Bastille Day? Oh, come on, move on. No, we don't, We would never say that. But for some reason, there's an obsession with people who are antagonistic. And they'll say, well, what's this obsession the Jews have with the Holocaust? Go, Excuse me, an obsession? Here it is. We had another Holocaust. Hmm. Well, in microcosm, a horrible genocide. Mm. You know, if you do the proportionality, you know, the world's talking about proportionality, as, you know, we understand the tragedy of September 11th. Well, if you do it proportionately per population, then the 1,200 people murdered on October 7th is the equivalent of the murder of 57,000 people on 9-11 instead of 2,991. Instead of 3,000, it'd be the equivalent of 57,000. Hmm. That's how, so the question is, why are we responding to these 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 attacks in such a way is that, you know, the world has always agreed with us. Okay, never again. There should never be another Holocaust. But every 15 to 20 years, there is another Holocaust. You know, a lot of people don't understand how tragic um, a bus blowing up in, in 1997, killing 11 people. Well, you know what? It's infinitely worse than just the 11 people. Think of one person that you love, a mother, Mm -hmm. a sister, a daughter, and her her now widowed husband who has to take care of three children. But you know what else? Whenever you hear, by the way, and 17 wounded, do you know what that means? Someone who doesn't have an arm, Mm -hmm. someone who doesn't have a leg, someone who's blinded for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. So the tragedy is compounded. And by the way, here here in our synagogue, um, I'm sure you remember a, a couple of weeks ago, Marines were killed in a training accident in my synagogue when American soldiers fall in battle or when, you know, the Houthis, um, the two, the two SEAL team members, we announced their name, mm-hmm. how old they were, if if it's been announced, and how they fell in battle defending our great country. So the idea is that we have to personalize each one. Elie Wiesel a blessed memory who was a holocaust survivor and a Nobel prize winner he said you know 6 million is just a number so instead of thinking of 6 million think of one person that you love who was murdered 6 million times mm. now you understand the tragedy of 1200 think of one person that you love someone special someone unique someone who contributes and then think about them being murdered 1200 times raped mutilated etc and then you understand how the pain and suffering of the of the Jewish people are exacerbated when people say, move on. Why are you acting this way? Why why can't you forget? Mm-hmm. And the answer is because every time we forget, it, it gets repeated. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, Rabbi Elliot, uh, Hamas's attack on Israel happened on the verge of historic agreement for normalization of relations between Saudi Arabia and Israel, which was a continuation of the successful Abraham Accords. Under President Trump's leadership, Israel and Arab countries – UAE, Bahrain, Morocco and Sudan – normalized their relations for the very first time. And Abraham Accords demonstrated that peoples of Israel and Arab countries in the region aspire to peace, security and prosperity. So signing of the Abraham Accords was a historic accomplishment, providing opportunities to trade and invest and visit each other. Countries through Abraham Accords aligned against Iran, which is a common enemy in the Middle East. And finally, Abraham Accords signatories recognized that the peace and prosperity in the Middle East is possible despite Palestinian leadership opposition. Then Iran perpetrated the attacks. So Rabbi Eliot, the only obstacle to the Abraham Accords and peace and prosperity in the Middle East is Iran. Uh, Will Abraham Accords usher in a new era in the Middle East and potentially transform the region, or will an emboldened Iran continue to thwart attempts that are bringing peace and prosperity?"
2: I totally agree with, with the premise of your inquiry. And I just wanted to emphasize that one of the things that Israel has always been saying for the last 56 years definitively, that if the Palestinians would only make peace with Israel that Israel slash Palestine would become, if there were to be a state of Palestine, would be a utopia, a Garden of Eden. And we often would say, if they'd only make peace with us, then Gaza would become the next Hong Kong or Singapore. And the proof of that is every country that's made peace with Israel, every Arab country, for example, UAE, Israelis can walk in the UAE wearing a yarmulke wearing, you know, a, a Jewish star speaking Hebrew, mm-hmm. and they're welcomed into each other's homes, you know, to break bread. But more importantly, the economic benefits to both countries, Bahrain, UAE, etc., has been phenomenal. And it's only what six years right. of unbelievable growth, prosperity, but not just financial. Art, music. So sociologically speaking, the advances between these countries have been fundamental. And the other thing is Saudi Arabia has had slow motion that even when the unofficial acceptance between Saudi Arabia and Israel, even unofficially, the cooperation regarding militaries, you know, medicine, etc. has been phenomenal. That's why Iran could not permit Peace between Saudi Arabia and Israel, because that would undermine the Iranian goal of their Islamic totalitarian regime growing like the tentacles of an octopus to control not just the Middle East, but world domination. And we know that because they've actually said things like Islam, you know, in the Quran, Islam shall take over the world. We know this. It's part of their doctrine. Right. And that's why we understand that. Israel and America are in this war together because Iran always says at all their despicable demonstrations, Israel is only the small Satan. Satan. It is the United States, which is the great Satan. First, they eliminate Israel. And then who's next on the agenda? The great Satan. And interestingly enough, if they're at war with Israel, then why are they attacking Americans? Why are they attacking American shipping lanes? It's because it's primarily an Iranian-based war against everything that America and Israel stands for. And that is freedom, Mm -hmm. equality, and justice in the world. That's what they're really against.
0: We have just realized that Biden has signed an executive order allowing the U.S. to impose new sanctions on Israeli settlers and potentially Israeli politicians and government officials. And even Secretary of State Blinken imposed visa bans on several dozen Israeli settlers believed to be involved in attacks against Palestinians. Now, we all know that Israel is a rule of law country and it addresses any criminal act with equal justice. And in fact, this undermines Israel's sovereignty. So Rabbi Elliott, what is your message to legislators on Capitol Hill that can perhaps override this uh, executive order? And uh, what is your message to the Biden administration that is, in a way, unfairly targeting Israeli Jews and not addressing the concerns of what we have experienced since October 7?
2: Well, first, let me say that initially, we were very pleased with the Biden initial response to the, the war and that that we acknowledge and we thank President Biden um, sending primary representatives of the United States to Israel and showing support and and it, it was very dynamic and unofficially people were saying well, well let's see how long the honeymoon lasts and um, it lasted pretty long but then all of a sudden I think the Democratic party liberal and progressive um, movements have successfully um, changed the orientation of, of the Biden administration. And one of the things that concerns me the most about these this executive order is that it's selective enforcement. How come there hasn't been an executive director similarly against Palestinians who have done worse? Right. So one of the things I've said: there, there can't democracy means everyone has the same rules. And they apply to everyone. Mm. So why was this basic condemnation of, of of settlers who haven't necessarily even, you know, you have to wait for their trial and be found guilty before you punish them. Mm. Now you have this executive order that's calling into question, you know, their, their rights and privileges as in a, in a foreign country and, and blacklisting them, so to speak. But the same executive order has never been issued for Palestinians who have done worse. and And, and that really is a red flag for me. And as you mentioned, Israel is a country of of law, and there is a process. Um, People get charged, they appear before a court of law, they have a defense attorney, and there's a a non-complicated method if found guilty of appeal, and all the way up to the Supreme Court. And in Israel, it's not like the United States where it takes years to get to the Supreme Court, that, uh, that Israel is a nation of laws, and and what concerns me is that this is almost like a a foreign not influence but attempt to interfere with the legal system within israel Mm. and and that's one of the things that in the past has been condemned by other administrations when 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 president bush would do something similar it was a a, a, a tremendous backlash from the democratic parties about influencing, influencing or trying to influence other countries and their their legal system. But on the same hand, I feel very uncomfortable with what President Biden has done in the last 10 days. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, we certainly thank you so much for your time, Rabbi Elliott. Thank you for your continued leadership on some of these vital issues of our day and for your leadership, not just only in Southern Florida. Thank you so much indeed.
1: Thank you so much, Rabbi Elliott.
0: Thank you And, and God
2: bless you, Joel. Natasha, thank you for all you do. God bless you. God bless the United States of America. And together, I know that Israel and the United States of America will continue to be a power of health and happiness and and godliness, and that together we will continue to be a light unto the entire world. Thank you so much. Thank
1: Thank you so much. God bless. God bless you.
0: This is America's Roundtable from Washington D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit, in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting Corporation and SuperTalk Mississippi Media. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joel Aden Sami, your co-host, joined by economist Natasha Sardorch, co-founder of International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit.
1: America's Roundtable guests include leading voices from business, government, media, energy, technology, healthcare, and the broad policy arena subscribe to america's roundtable on apple podcast amazon and spotify visit america's roundtable at americasrt.com americasrt.com follow us on facebook america's roundtable and twitter at americasrt we invite donors and advertisers to reach us by visiting our website americasrt.com